I do want to mention before I get into my sermon that this KN95 mask I'm wearing, um, if anyone is in an environment where you are in need of KN95 mask, our church has got a shipment, free shipment from the government. So if that's you, just let me know. We'll hand it out to you as long as supplies last. It's a little small, so you can see it's a little tight on my, on my ears. Okay, anyways, God bless you. Okay. Here we are today on the 10th week of talking about prayer. And it's been for me one of the most delightful experiences for me because I am digging into perhaps what I think is the most important thing of our Christian faith. Most unique thing about our Christian faith and to Jesus was the way he prayed, what prayer was. And for those of you who are following, I broke down the Lord's Prayer into four, uh, four parts, the presence, receive, activate, and today we begin the last three weeks of this series talking about yielding. Prayer causes us to yield to what is right and to yield not. And so the part, the part of the Lord's Prayer says Jesus teaches us to pray, to say, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It is safe to say the goal of prayer is not just to inform God. It's not even to just listen to God. It's not even just to be touched by God, but it's to be the fruit of prayer must be that it causes us to yield to God's leadership. Right? Prayer is an opportunity for us to be in his presence and to be connected to God so that we are yielded. We would dare, those of us, like I mentioned last Sunday, we are like sheep who have gone astray, astray to their own ways. But prayer is the opportunity that we can gather our heart, gather our will, purify ourselves that we can say, God, I will, I will yield to your leadership. Therefore, that is, this is the most important part of prayer. And here we see Jesus praying. It's perhaps one of the most um, uh, detailed part of the prayer of Jesus that we see in his ministry. It's the night before he was betrayed. As we we're, were about to do Holy Communion, it's, it's, uh, seeming, it's fitting that we talk about what went on in that time. And Jesus is struggling this night uh, as, some, uh, as a passage later reveals that his sweat became like blood. He was in agony in prayer. He needed to go to prayer because he had a, it was hard for him in this time to yield to the will of God. Look what he says. He said in our passage, right before it, he says, If possible, God, Abba Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Here is Jesus at the end of his ministry. Right there, he's about to hit the goal line, and then suddenly he is struggling. Friends, Jesus was tempted in the same way that you and I are tempted, right? And he was under that pressure, under that temptation. And he, was, he had to wrestle if he's going to yield to God's leadership. Another word for the God's leadership is plan, will, desire, right? And to God's way and he, or not. And so Jesus actually tells God, God, I want you to remove it. Because the cup that he was about to face was not just the literal physical death as we understand on the cross. I mean, anyone, if you knew you're going to go to the cross, you would try to do everything you can to avoid it. Because it's not quick death. He was on there for, uh, I think, I forgot the exact number of hours, but from eight to nine hours, just bleeding slowly, the pain agonizing. Every It says he, you couldn't recognize him after he was beaten and after he was hung there. And every ounce of water and blood left his body. Imagine the pain. And he was up there shamed. 
So obviously, physically, we don't want it, right? So he was like, God, I, I trust you, but if possible, can you remove this cup? But also, that cup was a spiritual thing. He was about to drink the wrath that you and I, every human being ever born, the price and the, and the judgment for your and my sin was going to be poured upon Jesus. What kills him is not just the nails in his hands and the, and the 40 lashes and, and the crown of thorns on his head. It is our sin, the, the, the price of sin, our, our, what we deserve as punishment for our sin was punished upon Jesus. Literally, he got the full blunt of the wrath of God in a single dose. He was so afraid because never once in his life did he experience life outside the presence of God. The utter darkness, utter hopelessness. Imagine that kind of spiritual death. He said, I don't think I can do it. The temptation was to say, as Jesus was tempted in this time, just as he was tempted in the beginning of his ministry in the, in the wilderness, is there any other way? I like what uh, Matthew says, this prayer, Matthew 24 says, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Jesus, in the last moment, he's saying, God, I know you told me to do this. I know you're leading me here. Spirit of God, I know this is where you want me to yield my will, but God, if it is possible, take it away. Because think about it, right? I'm sure the enemy was there whispering because up to this point, the enemy did not know Jesus was going to do this, right? This was this was secret plan of God. But as he sees about to unfold, he, the devil's like, wait, we cannot have him die on the cross. Jesus, you are strong, right? Why don't you, why don't you, you are the most powerful God. Why don't you send your angels and bring judgment now? Like John the Baptist, right? He was expecting the vengeance of God, and why not? He is the Messiah. He could have just said, you know what? People, human beings, I had enough. I'm bringing the day of judgment now, right? He could have done that. Bring the angels, reveal, show the heaven, end the reign of sin and Satan once and for all. He had the power, had the temptation, but also the devil could have said, you know what? Let's take a more soft approach, Jesus. You don't have to die and receive the wrath of God for all these sinners that don't even care about you. They don't even love you. They reject you. Why are you dying for them? Why don't you try diplomacy? Diplomacy. Let's negotiate with the terrorists, I mean, with the, with the governors, right? Let's, let's have a united nations of people and just say, you know, do some miracle, like multiply the food a little bit and just be like, hey, guys, uh, can you just welcome me as a new leader? All of you guys, just bow down to me. Let's just, let's just make peace, right, world peace, right? If that doesn't work, he could have just, you know, gone viral, right? He could have just become even more popular with more miracles, so many other possible ways, but at the end, what happens? Jesus says, I will pray. And in that prayer, he is over, he's able to overcome that temptation. And he says, but not what I will, but what you will. Jesus gave us an example that in prayer, we're able to yield to God's leadership and not be led into temptation, but be delivered from evil. I think Jesus' prayer at Gethsemane is the pinnacle picture of prayer for all of us. If we don't understand, if prayer is too complicated, just remember this prayer. We enter prayer. We're in God's presence, receiving his love, receiving his forgiveness. 
We're here to activate our love, to go into the world, to live by love and faith. But at the end of the day, we are able to say, God, I want your will. The reason we pray is because, like, we, like I mentioned, by nature, we don't want to submit to God's will and his plans. But we are able to, like Jesus, overcome temptation and to say, I will yield to your leadership. The word, by the way, yield means, uh, just in case you don't know that word, it means to, it's a synonym for giving. It's offering, right? It's not something, you don't yield something out of obligation. It's not demanded of you, but it's something you willingly give. It's also the act of surrendering, putting down your arms. So that's what Jesus did in that place of agony. He was like, God, I know there's so many possible ways you can do this, but if this is the only way you can show your love and deliver your children, bring them home, I will yield. I will give my life. I will surrender to you. And that is what prayer wants to do, is able to do in us. So as he's doing this, we also see not only what, how he prayed, but he goes to his disciples and tells them, he gives them a lesson on prayer. He says, watch and pray so that you will not fall in temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Friends, Jesus, at the same time, him demonstrating what prayer does, the power of prayer that we can yield to God's perfect will and leadership, even though it doesn't make sense, even though we think there's a better way. Like John the Baptist, again, he thought, gosh, I thought this is not what the word of God said, but he had to trust him. Prayer does that, but also prayer is here to fend us against temptation. It's interesting that Jesus here doesn't tell them to watch and pray so you won't be tempted. Right, that would be better, right, if, you, if you're just saved from that. But no, there's no way you can, you can have a Christian life where you're no longer tempted. The, the, the moment temptation will cease for you and me and for disciples is when Jesus returns. Until then, temptation is lining up outside your door. There's, um, uh, I'm going to describe in a little bit what temptation actually is. But Jesus says that, don't, that you will pray so you will, not, you will not fall into temptation. That key word is not fall into temptation. Prayer is the only thing that will give you the power to not fall into temptation. Prayer will not remove temptation, but when temptation comes, not if, you will be able to stand. Just like Jesus. He was tempted in that moment to say, Jesus, let's go to plan B. He did not fall because he prayed and he went for plan A. Let's talk about temptation. What is the problem of falling into temptation? Perhaps the most uh, accurate place that many Christians go to is James chapter 1, verse 14. He, the, the apostle James uh, basically outlines what happens with temptation. He says, when tempted, each person is tempted, and when they're dragged away by their own desire, evil desires and enticed, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, gives to death. So here's the four, four part what temptation really is. Temptation comes and it, it first goes after your desire. And when you're enticed, when that desire is awakened, so temptation comes to you. It's coming to you every 24-7, especially now if you have phone. There's so many ways that temptation, advertisement, all these things, uh, opportunities for entertainment, things that will satisfy your needs are all there. Temptation is there. And when it touches your desire, it gives birth to sin. So temptation, and then after, after sin, what happens is it gives birth to death. So temptation, evil desire, sin, and death. Eventually, temptation leads you to death. That is very simple. 
temptation leads you to evil desire, which leads you to sin, which leads to death. Now, in Korean, I want to teach you a Korean word. Uh, it's something that people say. I, I don't know why I thought it, but I just thought this would be a, a good way to remember it. There's a, there's a word that Koreans say when they're fighting, when you're in a, in a fight. They say, Jugule. It means you want to die. Okay, so I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, Jugule, uh, don't give in to temptation. So tell them that. Turn to your neighbor and say that. Jugule, <laughs> don't turn, in, don't give in to temptation. Temptation, what is temptation? The way that I can uh, explain temptation, it's kind of like, uh, you know, the Genki Sushi? Have you guys all been to Genki Sushi? Yeah. What happens in Genki Sushi is you sit down, and then what happens? Temptation comes to you, right? All these uh, sushi of various sizes, tastes, right? There's something for everybody. If you don't like sushi, there's like udon, there's like wonton, you know. Sometimes fancy places have like little like, beef tartare or whatever. So temptation is like that. It's, it comes to you. Is there anything wrong with that? No. There's nothing wrong with the sushi and, and the food on the conveyor belt. But the moment you see something and the desire, there's that choice you have to make. Do I give in to this temptation or not, right? And when you do, you grab it, and then what happens? You eat it, and then what happens? Now you have to pay for what you ate, okay? <laughs> in the same way, temptation itself is not bad. In fact, Satan uses good things, really good things, things that God created as temptation, but it's when you take it out of the will of God, out of God's leadership, that it becomes to you the price of death. Maybe another way uh, that you can uh, think about uh, this is like a salesman. Like think about temptation as salesmen. They're literally like lining out the door. Like let's say your life is your home and they're literally out the door and there's knocking on your door. All kinds of salesmen, they're here to sell something. They're here to make you do something, make you pay a price. And you just get used to saying, no, 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 no. But one day a salesman comes to you and, and gives you a sample, right? Free sample and you taste it and you're kind of like, kind of like that. And then you see another salesperson and they look a little different, you know, and you, and you open that door, right? And that little desire opens that door, that little taste of a free sample. And now the, the salesperson comes into you, and it's more than now business. Now they're talking about family, hobbies. They're talking about, you know, uh, uh, they're, 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 they're making jokes. They're talking about how many children you have. And all of a sudden now you've let them in, and you've got them. They've got you. They've got you on the hook. Therefore, when you're temp tempted, it's not evil. It's not wrong to be tempted. When we give in, when we take a bite of that sushi, when we let that salesperson in, it leads to death. Friends, but as I was looking into this, why Jesus said, watch and pray so that you will not fall in temptation, I realized something I never did before. And it completely, like, revolutionized, and I felt that God took me to a whole other level of, I guess, faith in God. And I want to share that with you. When we talk about sin and temptation, Jesus himself, this is a problem of temptation ultimately, he says in John 8, 34. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins because of what? Temptation, right? We all sin because we're content, continually tempted. The sushi conveyor belt is going to run and run and run, and things are going to be better and better and better, right? As, as, as people, human beings progress, now temptation is like 3D, <laughs> right? It's like, it's like, it's like Amazon delivery, right? It's, it's fast shipping. It's immediate. It's bigger. It's better, tastier. When, that, when we're sinning because of temptation, Jesus says that 
death is not the only thing. But when you sin, you become a slave to sin is the ultimate problem of falling into temptation. So not only is sinning just uh, something you suffer, but you become a slave to the sin. If this is the fruit of falling into temptation, right? The disciples at that moment, they didn't pray. Guess what? They could not control the next series of events. They denied Jesus, right? Um, and we know what happened to, obviously, Judas. He committed suicide, right? Because when you sin, it's not just you suffer the consequence, but sin takes over. Sin becomes your leader, your master. That's the scary part, right? When I eat the sushi, it's not, I don't, have to, I don't just pay for it, but to make this illustration work, the sushi now becomes alive in me, and it takes over. Like alien, right? It's alien sushi, right? So Jesus is explaining to us that when you fall into temptation, you sin, but more than sin, now you are a slave to the sin. It's different. That feels a little different. I thought I thought I just let you in, salesman, to buy your product. Not that you become the owner of my house, but eventually that's what sin, temptation leads us to. So if this is what the devil is trying to lead you into, to be a slave of his, right? This is the devil's biggest scheme is he'll tempt you so that you will have an evil desire and you will sin and not only die eternally, but also in, until you die, he's going to be your master. Did you know that? That is his ultimate scheme. If that's his leadership, what is God's leadership? What is the opposite of slavery? Freedom. Yes. William Wallace. That's not the walking dead for those of you who uh, are very young. Yeah, this is uh, called Braveheart. Uh, I'll talk about this a little bit later. But freedom is the ultimate place where God is leading you. This is why I started digging, and I, and I remember talking to a friend of mine, a, a pastor that I really admired, and I asked the person, like, you know, what if you were to define Christianity, what would it be? And he simply said, freedom. And I'm like, yeah, I think that's part of it. No, but I realize ultimately when you boil down the gospel, if somebody comes to you to say, give me one word to explain why I must believe in Jesus or what Christianity is about, you can say freedom. I'll show you why. Scripture is full of this. And I think I missed it because I didn't understand that the direct effect of the enemy's leadership is towards slavery. And God, Jesus' direct God's leadership for you is freedom. It is, is, is completely opposed. It says in Galatians 5, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. He's talking about here actually the slavery that in this case became the word of God. The law of God became in some twisted way the devil used God's word to make people slaves unto sin that to prevent them from grace and faith. The ultimate goal for why Christ came to earth and died on the cross, did the miracles, and gave us the teaching, made you guys children of God, is so that you can be free. Again, 2 Corinthians 3, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, because, again, we're being, we're being led like sheep, being tempted, enticed to continue to sin, and the problem with sin is I cannot turn from it. I am now a slave to the sin. But the moment anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the, where the Lord is, the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. 
That's the goal. Again, Jesus himself, he, again, he said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. You guys are here longing to listen to the teachings of Christ. And he says, when you hear the teaching, then you will know the truth, which the devil does not give you. The truth that that sushi you ate was alien sushi. And what the salesperson really wants is not just to sell you a product, get money from you, but to take over your life, your family, and everything you are, become your master. And the truth of Jesus will set you free. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Friends, this should not be a surprise to you because if you think about who we were created originally by God, before we sinned, he created us free. He literally gave us an entire world, an entire eternal life and said, this is yours, free. But the moment we decided not to believe in God and we, we were given into temptation of, this, of Satan in the garden, we gave into that evil desire, we sinned, and we were eternally headed to death. Yes, but all along that path, we became slaves. So think about it. If Jesus in that garden of Gethsemane failed to pray, if he failed to yield to God's leadership and said, you know what? I don't have to do this. What am I? I? I'm the son of God. And who are these people I'm dying for? People that don't care about me. Don't, they will, they'll probably half of them will never worship me. I'm not going to do it. And if he chose, if he gave into that evil desire, imagine he would simply become just like you and I, another sinner that died. But what made him qualified as the Messiah, as our Savior, the name above all names by which we are saved, the name by given to man, no other man by which we are saved, Jesus Christ, the Lord, is because he said in that moment, God, I yield to your leadership, and I will not fall into the temptation before me. That's why he was free. He was free to do what he did, offering salvation, bringing death to, uh, death to sin and death and for all. Friends, what is God giving you freedom for, right? Again, freedom defines what Christianity is about. Because, why? Because only in Jesus we are, now that we know God, we are free of sin. Because of what Jesus did, we are now free to love. We're no longer obligated to love and do things and to serve, but we are free to love. And now we are free to live a new life. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. And the eternal life is a right you have. And now you are free to offer your life to bring the kingdom of God. You're not obligated. You're not under any duress or any, any obligation, any demand of God that says bring the kingdom. No, it is now your decision, your will, your freedom to choose to say I seek the kingdom first. First, freedom is what Jesus has given to us. Freedom is essential in the image of God that we were created. We are free to become children of God. We have the right to take it because that is who we are, created free. But friends, that's why this life is so sad because because of sin and temptation that we've given into, we are not free. Even though Jesus made us free, we continue to yield not to his leadership into freedom, but we continue to yield to temptation, not knowing that that temptation is ultimately bringing us back into being slave. 
Romans 6 says this, For we know that our old self was crucified with him on that cross so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. That's the, that's the point of the gospel, is to be, bring freedom to you because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. So when Jesus says, you want to follow me? And that means you want to become like me, free? Jesus was not, you know, he, he, was, he was free of fear. Fear didn't, didn't, didn't move him because the only one thing he yielded to was God. He lived the most free and powerful life because he, and, he, and when, he, when he said that, he asked us, now if you want to follow me, carry the cr cross daily, deny yourself, pick up the cross, and then you'll follow me. Now, friends, for many of us, this is the ultimate question, right? It doesn't sound right when we say, God, you're telling me, right? If, if I want to be like you, be free to be a child of God, be free to be a glorious child of God, you're telling me that I have to give up my right. I have to actually crucify myself. I have to deny myself. For many of us, that sounds like I am willingly becoming a slave. It's paradoxical, just like Jesus in that, in that Gethsemane, he had the freedom and he could have done whatever he wanted, but he wielded his right to God and he tr became truly free. The Lord is teaching us, when you're tempted, when in this life, as we're tempted, he's inviting us to fight by dying at, with Christ, taking his example, taking that example of Jesus today. Not my will, but your will be done. That is what we're striving for, that when we do that, then we're truly free. Romans 8 says it this way, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. That word led by is very important because led by is we're willingly, the Spirit of God is not dragging us, right? Those who are, you know, knocked out by God, put a plastic bag over, not a plastic bag, a black thing over their head, put in a van, and they're taken by God. No, by force. No, no, no. Led by means it's an invitation. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves. He's not here to say, obey me and do this. That's the voice of Satan using the word of God, manipulating and say, eat that sushi. That's going to secretly make you a slave so that you will live in fear again. Rather, you receive the uh, you, the spirit you received receive brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. There's so many scriptures in the, in the passage. If you look at the scripture with this lens of understanding that the ultimate point of the gospel is to make you become free as God created you, it's very simple, right? And that everything that is not, we know that it's not of God, we know it brings us to slavery. Therefore, we're no longer we no longer have to suffer by the temptation that is brought before us. The ultimate battle in your life, in our Christian faith, is to yield to freedom or to slavery. It's a choice given to us every day. Yielding to the Holy Spirit, leadership, trusting him, even if it means and sounds like I'm going to die on a cross, trusting him and following and yielding him, choosing to follow him, be led by the Holy Spirit, leads to freedom, and yielding to the temptation right in front of you to the devil is again bondage to sin. The word here is again so that you live in fear again. This is such, this is why we pray and the Lord taught us to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us from slavery is another word. 
I close with this. The best, perhaps, illustration about this whole struggle between slavery and freedom and being led by God, yielding to God's leadership, is none other than the Exodus event. So here's Moses and the people of God, and they spend 40 years in the, in the desert to learn what? To become humble so they will live by God's leadership. Many of them failed, but the way God did it was the pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. Pretty amazing. So a pillar that a, over a million people could see. It's a pretty amazing thing. And the nations surrounding them saw this and they feared. But it's amazing that these people, they couldn't yield to God's leadership. Constantly what happened was they thought about their lives before Christ. They thought about that sushi that was just offered to them. It was onions and leeks in that time. And they could not yield. But Jesus knew that because of our brokenness, we are not able to overcome. Just like the disciples in our, in our passage today, they could not yield to God's leadership. That's why Jesus ultimately did it. And now freedom for us is a gift. It's a gift you receive by faith. Freedom to be a child of God. Freedom from sin is a gift that Jesus did on the cross, purchasing the cross for us. But it remains that you and I yield into his leadership. I want us, as we come to the Lord's table today, have an opportunity to examine your heart because I want to invite us to remember what he did on the cross and ultimately remember that the body and the blood of Christ purchased your freedom. And now it is your freedom, your opportunity to say, God, now that I'm free, I yield not to temptation to make me a slave again, but to become a child again. I want to yield to your leadership to love. I want to give myself to the work of the Holy Spirit and the kingdom of God instead of my greed on the earth. It is freedom that the Lord wants to offer to you again. But the Lord gives us a warning that a house divided against itself cannot stand. You cannot in your heart have, one, a desire to fall into temptation at the same time yielding to God's leadership. There has to be that place of decision, and that's where prayer comes in. Prayer is that sweet place where Jesus himself was tempted to the point of sweating with blood, but in prayer he met his Abba Father, and he was able to receive the faith that he needed. So therefore, as you pray, may the goal of your prayer be to ask the Lord to break you down, to humble you so where you're malleable, kind of like, like, like you're a clay, but let the Lord break you, melt you again, and may let you be, and ask the Lord to yield to help you yield your heart so that he can recreate you. And in that time, again and again, may his will be done in your life. And may you live in the fullness of the freedom that Jesus has given to us. Let us pray now. God, in this moment, we want to remember, even though we, it's been, we're so used to being a slave to sin, sometimes we don't even realize that we are not in control when we think we are. God, we don't want to no longer live in fear. We don't want to be people who are restricted, people who uh, feel like God is a taskmaster. Lord, these lies that the enemy has placed upon our lives, God, I pray today, as we see the love of God that you poured out on that cross for us, help us to know 
that we are free. And it is for freedom that Christ set us free and teach us how to now be led by your spirit into a new way of life. So, Lord, fill us in this moment, this time. In Jesus' name we pray.